In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, please have a seat. I, um, I'm somewhat nervous because I don't know which way to go this morning. Um, you could have the long sermon or the short sermon. Which would you prefer? <laughs> so, long could be anything up to 25 minutes, half an hour. The short could be uh, 15 minutes. Which would you prefer? Okay, shall I head off on the 15, and if I start to see eyes close over, I'll stop. Um, But if I think you're still with me, I'll go a bit longer. Does that work? Okay, we're happy to do that. Um, We are coming to the final of this series uh, that we have been following through Epiphany. Uh, And today I want to land what I mean by the beauty of difference. I've called the sermon series The Beauty of Difference of learning to appreciate the difference of what God has made you. And I'm really trying to work out how to put this into uh, words that, if English wasn't my first language, that I might understand. And I stumbled across this beautiful book um, that I'm slightly tempted to give to Joseph afterwards, okay? Um, It's called, When God Made You. So, I want to start off with reading you this book. You. Yes, you. When God made you, God made you all shiny and new. An incredible you. A you all your own. A you unlike anyone else ever known. An exclusive design. One God refined. You're perfectly crafted. One of a kind. Because when God made you, somehow God knew that the world needed someone exactly like you. You, you, God thinks about you. God was thinking of you long before your debut. From the very beginning, amid history and time, you, little one, never left God's mind. God imagined your eyes, your head shape and size, and knew what you'd look like when you felt surprised. (laughs) God pictured your nose and all ten of your toes, the sound of your voice. God had it composed. The lines on your hands, your hair, every strand. God knew every detail. Like it was all planned out of billions of faces, from cultures, all races, people God made from all different places. God knew your name. Your picture is framed. God's family without you would not be the same. Good to see some people who've been away. We missed you. God's family is not the same when you're not here. Because when God made you, this much is true. The world got to meet who God already knew. You, you, when God sees you, God delights in what is and sees only what is true. That you, yes you, in all of your glory bring colour and rhythm and rhyme to God's story. So be you. Fully you. A show-stopping review. Live your life in full colour, every tint, every hue. Discover, explore, have faith but love more, and learn and relearn all that God made you for. Use your talents and passions, those gifts that God fattened. Think of ideas and then put them to action. Because God loves you creating your true self-displaying. When light on the inside through art is portraying. 
When you make believe the stories conceived, the heroics, the magic, those tricks up your sleeve. When you dance alone, spinning like a cyclone, being whoever, whatever in a world, all of your own. God smiles and hears why. In the spark of your eye, a familiar reflection shines bright from inside. Because when God made you, and the world, ooh, and odd. In heaven, they called you an image of God. You, you, and God dreams about you. God dreams about all that in you will be true. That you, God's you, will be hopeful and kind. A giver who lives with all heart, soul, and mind. A dreamer who dreams in big and small themes. One who keeps dreaming in journeys upstream. A mover, a shaker, a lover of nature, a builder of bridges, you, the peacemaker, and you who views others as sisters and brothers, and lives by the three words, love one another. A confident you, strong and brave too. You being you is God's dream come true. Because when God made you, all of heaven was beaming. Over you, God was smiling and already dreaming. Do you like that? Lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that as well. When we finish the season of Epiphany, I think sometimes what happens, we just go from week to week, and we don't really pick up what God was really saying to the world through the Epiphany story. In this story, we see Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, being brought to the temple to do what every other normal human being does. Epiphany follows a rhythm every single year. We begin with the coming of the Magi, and through that story we are saying that the good news of Jesus is for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. The second thing we see is the baptism of Jesus. That would follow normally that course, but because we've got funny Christmas dates, we didn't get that. And so we do that because actually what we're saying is that God in heaven is approving that Jesus has come in the flesh. I want you to hold on to that. The next thing that happens usually is you would celebrate the miracle of Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns the water into wine. That God is approving, he's approving our relationships one with another. That we have not just sent Jesus to come and just be floating on some kind of cloud. He's getting fully involved in the nitty-gritty of our lives, including those moments where we feel slightly or considerably ashamed, and Jesus comes to restore us back to life again. It's a picture of the resurrection. And then we come to this particular story that we have here today, of the... Uh, of Candlemas, or of the uh, presentation of Jesus at the temple. That what Jesus was doing was, he was fully entering as God and man into our story. The things that we do, day by day, week by week, he was fully embracing what it was to be a human being. I want to introduce you to one of my 
heroes today. He's, an Eng- he's a Scotsman, actually. A man named, uh, poor old uh, Louisa, hears too much about him, I think, is a man named John Dun Scotus. And he came from a place called Duns in Scotland, and uh, he wears a, a funny hat. Um, the expression dunce comes from taking the mickey out of dear old Duns- John Dun Scotus. Now, John Dun Scotus uh, was an English and just happened to be a Franciscan as well. And he, pump, he came onto the scene in the 13th century um, because the church was really in the grips. In fact, ever since Jesus arrived, we have been trying to work out who he was. It took us 400 years to realise and to work out that we believed that he was 100% God and 100% human, that he took his humanity from Mary and he took his divinity because he was the begotten Logos of God. But around the 11th century, a conversation started, not so much who, but why did God need to become a human being? Why? And onto the scene came the Archbishop of Canterbury, a man named St. Anselm. Okay? And St. Anselm, because he lived at the beginning of the 11th century, he was imagining God very much like an earthly king. An earthly king. Well, in earthly kings in 11th century Britain weren't very nice. Okay? What the king said, you did, or off came your head. It was pretty brutal back in those days. And so, Anselm pictured God to be a king who needed honour and tribute brought to him. And so he began to set off a set of ideas to say that the reason that Jesus came was so that he could take away the anger of God. That's what he began to say. Now, onto the scene, step two other characters. One, who has very much shaped Christianity since this day. A man named St. Aquinas. Okay? And St. Aquinas uh, was, a, uh, was a Dominican. And at the University of Paris at the same time, John Dunstotus was there. And Aquinas was saying, the reason Jesus came, the primary and sole reason he came, was to die on the cross for our sins. Scotus said... Mm, I'm really sorry but that kind of drops God to a level where is that the real reason that Jesus came? is that the real reason because of human sin? and he came back at Aquinas and said aren't you dropping the reason for Jesus coming down as a plan B that God would somehow be dealing with the issue of Adam's sin. Now, Jesus did die for our sins. We'll put that there, so you don't go and hang me as a uh, heretic. But it's not the reason he came. The reason he came, Scotus said, Jesus would have come even if Adam had never sinned. That the reason that God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ was that God wanted to be completely identified with his creation in every way, shape and form. A bit like this story was telling us all about. 
that the God is so loving and so full of love and so gracious and so kind that he is not just in the business of our, as Dallas Willard calls it, sin management. He is in the business of transforming, transforming the world through love. He was telling a different story of the love of God transforming violence and judgment and horror by taking humanity's pain and absorbing it into the love of God. So much that all that evil is taken into death with Jesus and a new creation was born and came into effect by resurrection. Now, why am I going into this particular thing? Because I think it's very important that we need to silence two other voices. And it's the voice that goes on, and I'm not sure if it goes on for you if you're African, but if you are European, it's really there. And Europeans have got two people who are constantly speaking in their ears. One is a man named Plato, and another one is a word, a name, a, a person called Aristotle. Okay? They were Greek philosophers. And they have affected European thinking massively. And Plato, because he comes out of Greek culture, was saying this. Matter, physical stuff, is bad. Everything that is physical is so affected. Later they went on to say that, so this is Augustine then. Went on to say that everything physical is evil. That actually we've got to get out of our flesh and only that which is spiritual, which is pure. This is highly problematic for biblical Christianity. Because the very first thing that we believe about Christmas, and I'm going to say this at Deanery Synod, uh, if you want to come on the 8th of February, about why I want to say the creation is good. I believe the creation is good because God came in matter, in flesh took on our sinful, well he wasn't sinful, but he took on the flesh, the batter of this world. And it's hugely important that we grasp that as Christians. Particularly those of us who have come from a European background. Because this narrative has gone on and still goes on of actually what is spiritual is what really matters. But that's not what Christianity teaches Christianity teaches things like a bodily resurrection. Christianity teaches about give to the poor. Love being an action. Doing things is what we are about. Christianity is doing something very, very different. And John Dan Scotus came up with this great, very, very hard to say word. I'm going to use it. I'll get you to see if you can say it as well. He came up with this word called Hachetas. Do you want to have a go? Hachetas. Okay, I'm going to give you an easier way to run. And what he began to say was, so Aristotle, he's still alive and well in our world, and what Aristotle would do is he would describe me like this. Uh, a man in his 60s, white, heterosexual, cisgendered, uh, somewhat educated, exceedingly porky, likes a bad dad joke. You know, that's a Facebook bio. Now, all of those things, and you could think of your own Facebook bio, couldn't you, to describe yourself. Your Facebook bio, I want to say to you, is a projection of who you are. 
Not who you are. Not who you are. What John Don Scotus was trying to say, and I really want, for all that's in me, I want you to grasp this, is he used this word achetas, which translated means thisness. <laughs> the word he created was a Yutunde. What he created was a Louisa. What he created was a divine. What he created was a Faustina. He created a very specific Adam. He created you. And the very core of who you are is love. Because the very core of what who you are and what you are is that divine image of the love of God. Now, when we grasp that, when that moves from something that we might know in our head to something that lives and dwells in our heart, then how we see the world is totally different. We don't see the world as black or white. We don't see it as Ghanaian or Sierra Leonean or English. Or what. We you when you see the world like that, you can't do racism. When you see the world like that, you can't do gender inequality. When you see the world like that, you start to see humans made in the image of God and loved by God and created by God and ultimately in them dwells love. And what God, uh, and what Scotus is saying is this, is that when we turn away from actually seeing all that, the world in using Plato's language, dualistic terms, when we turn away from that and we start to see them in God's terms, of everything carries the love of God, then if you think that through prayerfully, how you live changes completely. Because what you do is you are looking towards and turning towards the love of God. And so therefore you can begin to love and live in the way that you were made and you were created to be. Now I'm just checking that I've pretty much covered it. So you're probably asking me, well what about? What about our, the fact I'm a sinner? Well I believe that Jesus sorted that once and for all on a cross 2,000 years ago. And yes you are a sinner but you don't have to be a sinner. You can turn to the way of love. You can follow the way of love. And because God loves you and his love is inexhaustible, even if you've walked in here this morning and you feel utterly miserable about yourself, God loves you so much that he can turn you the right way up. And we call that resurrection. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.